don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. It's almost like this cultural injection as people come in, you just Boom, we just give, boost their, their cultures and injection straight into their arm. We recorded a very special episode of Social Minds. This episode is a little bit different than usual as it was hosted by our COO, Don McGregor, who interviewed his friend, Tom Foster Carter, who is the COO at Monzo. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear about how culture can differentiate challenger brands. And being social chain and Monzo, we can definitely resonate to that, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners can. It talked about the roadblocks they've overcome over time and how culture has played a part in all of that, both attracting talent internally and speaking to new customers externally. And as you add in more people, you're, you're naturally going to dilute the, the culture. So the culture has to be super strong at the core. All this and lots more coming up. We really hope you enjoy this one. So millennials are a generation which have been in the news recently a lot. And um, a lot of the um, causes that millennials believe in kind of stem from um, the, the generation they've grown up in, which one of them, the key points of that was the financial crisis in yeah. 2008, which was obviously triggered by big banks. Um, how do you, um, what do you feel the, the gap in the market that Monzo really tapped into? Was it a combination of uh, cultural issues and, and a need for change and millennials questioning the conventional norm? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And so I think it's worth us just going back in time and just thinking about that environment in which Monzo launched. So first of all, going a bit, bit further back to the 07, 09 financial crisis. And I think it was just an incredible illustration of how a small number of companies could impact the lives of everybody. That was pretty scary, but I was super impressed by the response of the UK regulator as they looked at the market and found that about four banks controlling 80% or so of the market and um, people just weren't shifting uh, current accounts, no one was changing. In fact, you're more likely to divorce than you are to uh, change your current account, which is a pretty depressing stat. And they, they really wanted to do something a, a, about it. And the, the super interesting thing was they, they thought it was about friction. You know, it's quite difficult once you've got all your direct debit set up and so on to, to shift. It's spent a huge amount of investment and the, the banks then had to put in a, a lot of money to make the current account switching service happen. And initially, nothing happened. And then the realization was, look, there's just no differentiation between these, these companies. At the end of the day, you could switch accounts and it would still feel like you were still with the, the, the same bank as before, just a, a different logo. And so that environment where Monzo launched, I think it was it's fascinating. The aim there was to wake people up from what in Westworld describe as this uh, deep and dreamless slumber. You know, we actually just needed to say, look, there is some alternative out here. And what I genuinely believe is it was a, a, about showing people that we could do things differently and showing people that we, we often talked about um, a bank that you'd be proud to be your own. You know, that's what we're trying to build. Um, and a bank that's as smart as your, your mobile phone, just playing on the fact that a lot of our users that we were targeting 
had grown up on mobile phones and were spending their whole life on mobile phones. And so why wouldn't they want to bank on mobile phones and uh, not go into branches? And so tapping into that, I think that's the that's what just got us going initially. And people began to understand the brand and understand what we were about. And the, the thing just started to grow. And something must be going right. We're, we're going to pass 2 million customers next month. It makes us a significant that's, player. That's incredible because when we last met, you were just about to surpass a million. Oh, really? <laughs> so like the rate of growth is like it's shrinking. It's going fast. We're, we're adding about 35,000 customers a, a week right now. And we put it on our website. We've got a, a counter. You can check our, our website. So the, this thing is, it, we're transparent to the core. And I think that that's, um, that's probably, you know, the reason that, that it kind of really got us going in the start. And you talked about um, the term transparency there. How does that kind of seep into your values as a company? Obviously, um, there's the external um, face of Monzo and then there's the internal kind of team and culture here and walking through the office. Everyone is young, everyone's energetic. How does how does um, the kind of who you are to the external transpire internally as well? Yeah, so this was, it was a big deal for me when I was thinking about moving across to Monzo and, and one of the most attractive elements was the the brand and what I then perceived might be the culture. Now, sometimes those things are incongruent. Sometimes you can see a touchy-feely brand and then you find out from some article or whatever that the inner mm -hmm. workings are just not, are not nice. Mm -hmm. It's actually not a, a great culture. And so I was really wanted to find out if the Monzo culture matched its brand. And in fact, it's the exact opposite way around. We are 150% of the, the brand internally. And so the brand is just an external representation. It's just a window into how we are working. The, the whole thing is authentic. And that's been hugely exhilarating. And I think that this, this comes through for a, a lot of different people. We have, um, when we're attracting talent, candidates are often, they're often users. So that's great. That mm -hmm. means that they have experienced our customer communications or the the app and how it works firsthand they've been on our blog and seen um uh, you know heard about how we we operate and they know us they feel it feels like they know us and, and so that that first that initial stage of whether i want to join this company or not has disappeared and you you're already one step ahead um even while you're in the, the interview process so that when you join you're like yeah i i get this and, uh, and people tend to, to, to land um, pretty well. Now, that said, um, I think on the, the brand side, um, it really comes through in the, the customer base. Customers are, are saying, yeah, we, we totally get what this um, company is about. And it's, it's one of the really nice elements of, um, of, of being a company like this. I think we're, we're super clear on what the mission was. Um, and then we've been super clear that, that we are in it for, for customers and, and some of the ways that, that comes through. Um, if you think about a, a big bank and going into overdraft, you know, do you get warnings about that? Um, do people want to give you the visibility of, um, uh, of actually what you're, you're spending, uh, especially when it comes to using their, their lending products? Mm. Um, for us, we, we don't want you to go into overdraft. We need to be able to manage your money well enough uh, so that you can stay out of it. But if it's a facility that you would like to use, then you can use it. And so we want you to make the conscious choice, yeah, and I need to use that overdraft facility. Then we want to give that in a fair and transparent way where we show you uh, the exact amount that you're spending each day and, and you can budget appropriately. Mm -hmm. There was a great tweet which um, talked about how um, it was something like, I can't remember, you'll you know the figure better than me, but it was like a large percentage of revenue from banks was made from people through overdraft and loan facilities. So it's essentially just making money from people who need money. 
Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, actually, the, the stat that really gets me and, and I think has spurred us on to do something about it was the Competition Markets Authority did a, a study which found that £8.7 billion was made by banks from so-called free banking. So these are free current accounts um, due to punitive fees. And that, that just seems absolutely scandalous. So it's about £130 per, per customer um, from these quite punishing fees that just don't, you know, shouldn't exist. And we want to build a company that doesn't need that. You know, there's just no way that that, that seems um, like the, the right way to operate. And so for us, we're thinking about all aspects of your, your money. It's not just a, around um, the traditional lending suite. We want to be able to help you with, uh, are you overpaying on your energy? Um, are you overpaying on your, your mobile phone? Um, can we help you with your insurance? And so this ends up being anything that you're spending money on that comes into scope for us. And the most important thing is that we will introduce you to other companies. So we're not just using you as a captive um, uh, you know, captive customer. And then if you say, I'd love lending products, we say, great, these are the Monzo lending products and that's it. Uh, we want you to be able to get the best deal that is out there. Um, and of course, we'll take a, a, a cut of that. We, we need to make money as well. Um, but it's a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. We're saying this is genuinely the best deal on the, the market. We introduce you to it and you can do that all through the app. That's the vision. And we were, we were talking about earlier about millennials. And um, if you read this traditional press and the media out there, there's, it can be seen as a bit of a dirty word. There's the snowflake generation and uh, lazy millennials, you know, which when I read, I get very offended with. I get very offended by, you know, people who don't really understand this generation making very derogatory comments about it. Um, you were saying earlier that the average age of the team at Monzo is how old? Uh, so I think we're probably about 26, 27 yeah. to check the latest stats. And as a, as a kind of um, team of people that are even entering Gen Z and millennial workforce, do you think that as a, uh, a team, they're a lot more demanding what they, they want in terms of their standards of where they work and who they work for? Good grief, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to just cross-check the definitions. So there's millennials is like 1980 to 96, is it roughly? And then yeah, Gen yeah, yeah. Z's the sort of 96 of onwards and so on. Um, so yeah, I'm actually embarrassingly just outside the, the millennials. Um, yes, we, we have seen expectations shift. And uh, let's be honest, we're, we're part of that shift happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that we change what the bar is that other companies need to aim for. When it comes to companies like Monzo, when people arrive, they, they see a, a few different elements of our, our values just playing through. So um, we've got a, a value around um, helping everyone belong. And so you know, way the ways that this comes out, 20, um, about 20% of our workforce is um, LGBTQA. And the, you know, versus about 2% in the, the population. And I think it's just a, a demonstration of how incredibly welcoming we are as a, a company. We're incredibly conscious um, about ensuring that we are an inclusive uh, workplace and we just wouldn't tolerate anything that, that goes uh, against that. And so if we're setting that kind of standard, then of course other companies need to follow suit. I think the basics of this stuff, things around office perks and so on, so we we 
we put breakfasts out there that it looks like a kind of hotel breakfast, beautiful, freshly cut fruits. We've got several types of um, non-dairy milk. Um, we really yeah. pride ourselves on, um, you know, just, just trying to do the best job that we can on a, on a budget. We don't have the, the margins of someone like Google, um, where I'd say their breakfast is like a five-star hotel <laughs> breakfast. Um, we're probably four-star. Um, but if we're doing that, then of course, this, the, the, the types of, of talent that we're trying to attract um, will go to other companies and see they're not doing that and then kind of think, okay, it's a company that doesn't care as much about its employees. So I feel like we're probably raising the bar mm-hmm. um, and that's raising expectations. I think it's going to be fascinating. We're, we've got a huge commitment to transparency. We default to transparency and the way this comes out We've got, um, we, we copy an email list um, on, on emails to make sure people can, can see everyone's emails. Um, we actually send around the board deck, uh, make the board deck uh, available publicly, um, as in, well, publicly across our, our company, um, and the board minutes. And I just wonder, for people who've only worked at Monzo and then they go to their next company, you know, they arrive at Barclays Bank and they say, oh, hey, there was a, a board meeting yesterday and I, I didn't get sent the deck. Uh, it was there, <laughs> some sort of mistake. Um, so I, I think we are changing expectations for the better. Yeah. And um, that's pretty exciting because um, I, I like the fact that everyone then has to follow suit. And, and with your role being COO, how do you feel like you, you factor into that? So I think that it, the, there's so many different shifts in the, the workplace and then expectations on leadership. And in many ways, I think when I joined Monzo, I had to revisit my assumptions of what it was to be a COO. One of the key elements, for example, is we run using an autonomous teams model. And so that, that should mean that teams are, are set up, they're cross-functional, they've got everything that they need to be able to achieve the, their goals themselves. And so the key aspect comes from leadership of saying, these are the, the, the goals. Um, you know, we want to structure our teams in, in this way. The direction we're heading is over there. And then go for it. And we're quarter by quarter just trying to, to achieve these aggressive goals. And it's, you know, you've almost got 40 different mini, mini companies running. It's like 40 galloping horses all running in the same direction. So it, sometimes it feels like you're just holding on to the, the straps or on the, the saddle of these things. And um, it's pretty hard getting an alignment. But of course, that's the reason why we're going so fast. And that's the single advantage that we've got. We, we can't um, outcompete the, the banks in other ways, but we can certainly move a hell of a lot faster than mm-hmm. them using this autonomous model. So that's been pretty interesting for me from a leadership perspective, just adjusting to that and saying, okay, what, what's my role? It's direction, it's challenge. Uh, it's making sure that we don't speed off the, the side of a cliff. But other than that, um, I need to get out of people's way and, and let them execute. And coming back to the, the need of millennials and Gen Z and um, the generations that are coming, the, the trust element of that comes with the autonomous model is a very important factor in people feeling that they're developing. How can you? How do you assure that people feel that they are trusted to be able to make mistakes? Yeah, trust is super interesting, and it it plays into something I'm very passionate about, which is just team dynamics. And so, there've been some really good studies around this. Um, Google. It did a, a, a huge, huge project, so Project Oxygen, I think it's called, where they were trying to establish what it was that meant that some of their teams, so they, they only have smart people, right? Only, only smart people in Google, they should all be empowered. 
Um, and the whole thing is incredibly mission, well, it was mission driven, I don't know about now. Um, <laughs> but some of the teams were, were totally nailing it. Some teams just didn't, they, they failed spectacularly. So they wanted to understand what was it, what makes a successful team. And the single thing, there were various different factors that would come out and different elements are correlated, but the single thing that was absolutely there in all cases where teams were successful was psychological safety, i.e. trust. That psychological safety is, the ability to admit when you don't know what to do next, um, where it's not going as well as it should be and you need your, your colleagues' help, um, or where you have actually screwed up and you just put your hands up, you're not covering it up, say, this hasn't gone well. Um, what are our learnings? How could we do this better next time? And so some teams had that, some teams didn't. And I think that we are making good strides in this area. I don't think we're, we're perfect at it, but it's something that's definitely at the back of my mind all, all the time that I want to make sure that teams have, have got good, uh, Dan Pink did some, uh, some, some good studies around this, like the purpose, autonomy, motivation, um, uh, sorry, purpose, autonomy, mastery, um, leads to motivated teams. So if you get those elements in place for sure, then the psychological safety aspects, I think is just that final element that is the difference between kind of mediocre performance and um, really outstanding performance. So. Yeah, it's something we're working on. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say we nailed it. But, uh, <laughs> if we if we had, I think we'd be probably Amazon. Yeah, definitely. And is there anything in particular that you're doing um, in the areas to kind of increase that psychological safety? Yeah, we. One of the the things we realised, which is pretty nuts, we prided ourselves on having this very strong culture, but we didn't actually have it written down anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so we've only just four years in defined what are the five values that we really think makes Monzo Monzo. And I think it, part, part of that journey is then just really understanding, um, uh, well, once you've got the, the, the culture defined, then just understanding what it means to maintain that in a rapid scaling environment. So we have gone from 120 people when I joined uh, about two years ago to 850 people. It's a, a huge, huge growth. And as you add in more people, you're, you're naturally going to dilute the, the culture. So the culture has to be super strong at the core so that then when you're adding in all these extra people, uh, it, it's maintained. And so I think it's, getting the values defined is going to be a, a critical aspect of that. Um, and within there, um, I think, think trust is just an, an underlying factor um, throughout a, a lot of those. And um, if people understand that we'll definitely um, ensure that performance, you know, bonuses, if we, if we pay bonuses, um, uh, are all based on, on this, but certainly like how you get promoted, um, how you do well in the company, mm -hmm. um, it comes back to whether you adhere to values and not just about whether you have outperformed on, on impact or certain metrics. Mm -hmm. Then I think that that breeds much more trust um, so I think it's something that we're definitely not nailed, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, again, it's something we're really working hard on. Especially with a growing company, it's always so many things are changing all the time. It's one of the things that you have to focus on and the culture becomes a piece of the business, probably the heart of the business that mm. needs to be given care and given attention, given emphasis to make sure that it doesn't change. Oh, for sure. What else do you have? Yeah. So everything being said, is there any, can you summarize the perfect working environment for the modern age? Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a really good question. I think we try to do things a, a little bit differently on on that for sure. It, you, we're in a very got a golden opportunity because we're starting from fresh, and we could shape this company as we want to do with our with our, our team, um, and everybody's uh, 
um, actually part owners in the business in some way, shape or form. So um, they take that pretty seriously. And the working environment is just literally the one aspect which um, is such a visible part of how everything else is going. Um, we're big on flexibility. So that comes through in, in different ways. Uh, we have a work from home Friday, every alternate Friday. Uh, some people work from home more than that if their family circumstances mean that that's necessary. So that's, I think, just a, a really great, simple way of ensuring that you don't always have to be in the office. And for me, you know, it's fantastic. I get to drop my kids off at nursery and, um, and see them for uh, for bedtimes and so on. Um, I think we're we're good on we're definitely good on just not going crazy on hours. Uh, there's no kind of FaceTime culture here. We're incredibly goals driven, so it's just all about whether you're you're nailing your goals or not, and it's down to you to figure out how to to make that happen within your your other commitments. Um, and I think you know simple things like the fact we're just a fully open plan office uh, makes a, a big difference. Um, we've got something which is called our, our all hands, our company all hands, where we pull together the entire company once a, a week. And it, it's a huge amount of value that we get from it in terms of, it's almost like this cultural injection as people come in, you just boom, you just give, boost their, their cultures and injection straight into their arm. And part of that, we have leadership standing up at the end with a no holds barred, uh, Q&A. So you can ask any question, you can ask it anonymously if you, you want to. And um, there's been some pretty challenging stuff though. Our, our CEO got asked what makes you qualified to be our CEO, for example. And uh, he you know, pulled on his collar and then he gave a, a great answer. Mm. And it's the That's types weekly. of questions. What's that? Weekly. That's weekly. That's weekly. And so that is the type of thing I think creates uh, an environment where you know that we're transparent um, and you know that we're really able to all challenge each other to get to the right answer. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. So talking about what Monzo stands for as a brand, the culture, the values, um, that obviously appeals to your customer base as well. Yeah. Um, on top of the the values, what, what um, do you think Monzo does differently that appeals to the 2 million Near to be two million. <laughs> no, not quite yet. Let's not jinx <laughs> not quite it. Yet. And what what new uh, ways of reaching people are you looking at? So, when I think about how we're growing and what we've done from a kind of marketing and growth perspective, the there was no option for us to compete on a level playing field against the banks. They make a, a good amount of profit that they can just chuck it maintaining their their position. So you never want to get into a position where you're trying to outspend them. For us, word of mouth has just been such a crucial driver. And one of the things that we did early on, which I think was smart, was say, rather than having a separate growth team that was kind of hacking away at it, we made product teams which had growth objectives. And so this is all about building a product that people really wanted to use and would use more, and that's your, your way to then impact uh, overall growth. So 80% of our growth comes from word of mouth, and um, we're obviously just exploring spending some money because we feel like if this something is, is going right, we've obviously got a good product, people love it. We could be reaching more people as well, so we have the, the capital to start to make that happen. And you'll see a lot more of us with an out-of-home uh, campaign. We're running at the moment, National Out-of-Home. Um, we are going to explore kind of bigger bigger campaigns than, than that. 
and um, we are spending on on social as well. Um, but obviously, at the moment, it's not a, a huge chunk of, of overall growth. But this, this could be if we wanted to flip this so that literally half mm-hmm. our growth came from paid. Um, we could do, provided that we can see that the acquisition costs work. Uh, then we'll do more there. And coming back to company culture and um, the um, millennial and Gen Z aspect, mm. um, statistics recently released show that um, three out of five cases of people suffering with mental health have driven by work. Obviously, the stuff we spoke about earlier um, is a fantastic um, perk that uh, companies offer. That you know the, the modern age of working. How strong do you think the link is between work? And mental health. Mm. Yeah, that's an incredible stat, isn't it? I'm so I'm convinced that it's a absolutely huge factor. This is the place that you spend most of your time, and of course, a lot of people self-identify with what they do as their job, and um, see how successful they're doing in life as really how they're they're doing in their their career. Which, if we're right or wrong, is just a, a reality. I'm so pleased to see that there's just been this enormous shift recently. Something has changed. I don't know exactly what has driven that, but over the past even just three, four years, I've seen this massive shift where something you never spoke about, which was mental health, uh, is now just part and parcel of day-to-day conversation. And I'm so pleased to hear people within the company uh, also just talk openly about how they're doing on their, their mental health. And so I think Monzo's done really, really well on this. And I think it's something that I feel incredibly proud of. We, we created a culture where it is, given that we default to transparency anyway, we can be really transparent about mental health. And it's something which we've really pushed so that everybody understands. Um, this is something that happens to everybody. We all have kind of up and down days. And it's got to be great to, to talk about that. Um, and we've made it a safe space to do so. So we've created a, we've got a channel called Mental Health. And some of the stories on there are just really jaw-dropping in terms of, of how open and vulnerable people are prepared to be. And we have done that. We have created an environment where people can just be totally straight that they are unable to come to work today mm-hmm. because they're not able to operate like a human being. And that is just a, an incredible uh, testament, I think, to the, the culture we've created. And that's on an internal platform? That's on an internal platform, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's not quite, <laughs> not quite on our blog, <laughs> blog. we're not, not there yet. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, we spend money on this as well, so mm. we've got various benefits around. We, we looked at provide, getting an insurance provider that um, covered for mental health specifically. Uh, we have mental health first aid boxes, um, just very similar to the physical health first aid, just with a different set of things to help people in those mm. circumstances. We've got medical health first aiders who then signpost people through to, uh, mm-hmm. to get support. And then finally, like leadership, it's just really important that we're, we're leading from the front. Um, I've gone on public record talking about some of the mental health issues that I've experienced uh, in my family. And a lot of people, when I'm interviewing them, say, hey, I've heard your <laughs> mental health um, podcast, which is quite alarming in a way because I was extremely vulnerable and <laughs> open on that. Um, but also, I think, just a, a nice way of it, it just showing us that we take this stuff seriously, even at leadership mm-hmm. level. And um, we've had members of the C-suite stand up and say, hey, I'm saying, seeing a therapist at the moment. Uh, they're just helping me with uh, various things that I'm struggling with. And um, that is incredibly healthy. Yeah, it, it's... 
people ask me, you know, other business owners, people who are starting businesses, how do you get an open culture around mental health? And I, I do say it's it's not difficult. It comes from exactly what you said, said there in terms of transparency, mm. leadership in terms of making these things okay to be talked about. Yeah. That, um, you know, again, I've been open about my mental health journey, which again, I hope has helped people in the office and certainly get the same experience in terms of interviews of people saying, oh yeah, I've listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. It's quite alarming, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you know everything. <laughs> ah, how are you? <laughs> it's just one of the things where, but then it also, you know, builds a very much a familiarity between you and that person yeah. because they really, I really feel like they understand me. Yeah. And then I always feel warm to them straight away in terms of a sense that I, understand them a little bit as well mm. um especially when they kind of comment saying it, it helped or if it, you know whatever so vulnerability um, leads to trust and it brings people close together for sure yeah yeah and there's loads of work uh, now at the moment about how you in terms of leadership vulnerability is one of the strongest characteristics to have mm. because you show you also show the human side and you also show that um people can come to you and talk to you about these things it almost brings people down onto a level playing field in terms of structure that if someone's going through a similar situation of what myself or you are going through, then they know there's a route to talk to that person. So obviously we have a new generation of people coming through, Gen Z, um, fun, you know, they're doing some fantastic things in the world that they're, they're um, leading the calls for gun crime to be um, introduced into America. So mm. they're really leading the way in, in a lot of things and they're becoming more and more savvy with their money. How is Monzo, um, fit for purpose for future generations yeah this is really interesting gen gen z the 96 onwards so up to 24 years old and um i have definitely seen been reading about this this shift between them and and millennials um and i i suppose impacted i guess again with the financial crisis so uh, early on in their development that that will will make them a, a little bit more cautious and a little bit more savvy uh so i saw stat some stats somewhere one third of gen z uh is saving enough to make them feel confident about their money each month mm -hmm. um which is pretty good um, and it's about 10 percent higher than uh, older age brackets until you get um, much older um so you know something's happening there, and they they spend differently. Uh, it seems so they're spending a lot. They spend more on food, um, spending less on um, on kind of alcohol and vices, gambling, and so on. Um, and they're prepared to pay a premium on uh, more ethical or organic um, products and so on. So you know they they're definitely different. We I wouldn't say that we have consciously targeted um, that age group. But when you look at our age breakdown, it's it's pretty nuts. We've got 85% of our users are under 40, 66% um, under 30, um, and a good 30-ish percent under 24. So obviously we're doing something which really appeals to them. And I think it probably comes down to two, two different aspects. So one, I think you've got to be able to just free up the money to be able to save. And a lot of people think that they couldn't be saving um, because they, they just don't have any spare money at the, the end of the month. And this is obviously much tougher when you're starting out your, your career, you don't get paid as much. And uh, it all feels like um, you might have your student uh, loan uh, playing a part. It all just feels like outgoings. Um, but what we found is just by giving a hell of a lot more visibility around um, your spend and including just tracking spend by category. Um, we've got a, a view called summary view, which just shows 
when you get paid versus how you're spending that month. And you basically just need to keep ahead of the dial. If you do, you're going to be able to keep out of overdraft. If you go behind the dial, um, then you're going to end up going into overdraft based on um, our, our kind of system understanding of how you're spending, um, which is pretty cool. And it just begins to open up then the possibility of, uh, of having a bit of money um, left over. Second aspect is around um, making it really easy. So if you've got to ring up a bank or go into a bank and like set up a savings account, then it, it, it's not going to happen for a, a year, two years, even when you could have been saving. Uh, for us, we created something called savings pots. You press one button and it literally uh, comes up with this is a, a segregated amount of money that you can then start to put aside. You can set rules around it. Hey, I want to spend 20 pounds, save 20 pounds um, whenever um, you know, per week or um, even using, we, we integrated with if this, then that. So you can do things like save 10 pounds every time it rains and stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's just really cool. That's cool. So, um, you know, just we're making this fun and um, we've now connected that up to our partners so that you, you're earning 1% interest on this. We just made it so easy that there's then no excuse. So you could just be setting up a savings account at the bus stop. I think that's one of the reasons that people begin to like it. They begin to feel more confident with their money. They feel more in control. Then they recommend it to other friends um, at that age who are just that bit more willing to try something new than later on in, mm -hmm. in life. Even though it's a bank, you know, it's a, a bank account, uh, we get to solve that switching problem because it's just a, a much, much greater uh, propensity to sort of say, hey, I can give this a go, put some money aside, um, try it through Monzo, enjoy the app. And then they begin to put more and we see them pay their salaries in. And, you know, we know we've, uh, we've got them as customers who are really getting mm -hmm. the full value proposition. And I think just, just, to, just to wrap up then, uh, the world is evolving at an alarming rate. Education is struggling to keep up with the pace of change and people are going to university and learning out-of-date information in a lot of sectors. Mm. Um, how much responsibility does it fall on businesses to assure that they're kind of creating a better world for future generations? Uh, it's such a good question. and <laughs> 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 Not an easy question to answer. I think now this next generation that are hitting have an expectation that you as a company are doing more than just creating value for shareholders. And if they've got that expectation, then you have no choice but to, to, to do it. And actually, I, I'm, also, I'm talking about it in a reactive way. As a, an upcoming leadership as well, you know, we're a young leadership team. We also think we've got a responsibility to it. So we're, we're looking at the moment in, into becoming a B Corp where um, B Corps put social responsibility at the same level as profitability. And um, we think that this is hugely powerful. We're not just here to, to make money. And our customers are definitely have joined us, you know, not because um, they, they kind of see us as this kind of profit-making machine. I think that they're with us because they like what we're about, and that means we need to actually make a difference in, in this world. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the B Corp journey and just figuring out, okay, what can we do in terms of social responsibility, um, even just simple things like getting our employees to uh, volunteer or making sure that we're out there pushing the agenda on mental health. And yeah, it doesn't help with, with profit, but it does help with us feeling like we're um, doing the right thing. And uh, I think that, that is exactly what everyone expects us to do. Thank you. Thanks very much.
Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 